Do you have somebody in your life who loves books? Somebody who not only loves books, but always wants to share what she's reading with you, thinking that you're just going <laughs> to love her latest selection? And invariably, you just can't stand that book that they suggested. That's us. Mm-hmm. We both read a lot. Well, <laughs> I don't even read. I listen. But we very rarely agree on what constitutes a good read. I enjoy books that build up new worlds, invite magic and mystery into our lives. Ugh. Science fiction and fantasy rule. Don't uh, it. I, too late. Uh, it's done. Uh. I listen to a variety, but it's all grounded in reality. You can keep all that nonsense. Oh. Okay. I will. <laughs> Welcome to our podcast. You're making me read what? Your hosts on this monthly podcast are myself, Jessica, and my colleague, Christine. We're librarians who get a thrill out of a great book, but usually can't stand what the other person is reading. We've each selected some of our all-time favorite books, and each month we'll alternate between the lists with the goal of persuading the other to enjoy a read she would never have picked up on her own. Even a book that isn't entirely your style might have some redeeming qualities to it, right? I guess we'll see. And I think we have to, we have to start this podcast <laughs> with the spoiler alert. So I'm going to let you have that. Yes. So normally we just say this part, which is now's the time for us to warn you that we're going to discuss the whole book, including any weird endings and magical twists. Mm-hmm. If you haven't yet read the book and don't want us to spoil anything for you, please stop listening now and join us again after you've read it or decided that you're not going to read it. Mm-hmm. And I feel compelled <laughs> to add to that little disclaimer that... This book has some adult material in it. Tis. Yes. Tis. So if you plan to listen with a child, don't. Don't do that. Mm -mm. And maybe don't, like, let a child read this book either. (laughs) Unless unless they're a very advanced reader and you feel comfortable with what the content that they're completing is. So just so that I'm not overblowing this, the main character has... Don't forget the spoiler alert. has a career in the adult film industry. He does indeed. And, you know, typically we start this podcast and we talk a little bit about the author and the books they've done. And I'm sure we'll get back to this. But I require, mm-hmm. using the the immediate term of this podcast, to tell you that I was shanghaied because hmm. you told me about this book mm-hmm. in brief, mm-hmm. you know, when we're getting ready for the podcast. And you said, oh, it's kind of a love story. And, you know, it's got a little magic to it. And there's some history and multiple storylines. And you'll really, really like it. And I trusted you. Well, I have I ever you. told you about my favorite magazine? I read it for the articles. <laughs> was a love story, is a love story. Mm. It has some other mm. components to it that mm. I maybe forgot about in the interim because I, I read this book when it first came out or, or shortly thereafter, which was in 2008. Okay. And I picked it up off the new shelves in the Fairfax County Public Library because mm-hmm. it has a beautiful cover it does. of a woman's back with a gorgeous tattoo. And so it intrigued me, and I was trying to read outside my comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So, you know, give me some props. Okay. And there was some fantasy involved, yes. and so that was hard for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I remembered about it was the love story aspect. And so imagine my surprise when we <laughs> I started listening. And the adult film industry factored in significantly in the beginning, and I thought, I did. oh, Maybe this was not a good choice for the podcast, but it was too late. I I don't think it was a bad choice for the podcast. It was just a little unexpected. Surprise. It was a surprise. So thank you. It's, you know, it's the holiday season right now. Surprises are nice. Thank you. I suppose. Well, let me get back and just say a a few words about the book. I'm not going to belabor it because uh, this is 
the Gargoyle is the title. We forgot to mention that part. By Andrew Davidson. By Andrew Davidson. And he's a Canadian author. And this is the only book he's written. Um, okay. He uh, illustrated a book called The Iron Giant by mm-hmm. author Ted Hughes, which is a children's book. Mm-hmm. But it's the only novel that Andrew Davidson has ever written. And I thought it was quite good and came out with kind of a splash. So, one, thank you for choosing an author who is almost British. It's it's like a side <laughs> version of British. So right. thank you for that. I huh. know I know how hard it is for us to get away, particularly my selections from the Brits. A? Yes. A. <laughs> that is correct. Um, and B. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, you're welcome for that. Um, I, this was his only book. And, you know, I go online and I do a little research about him. And it seemed like he was going to become something even bigger. Like sure. he wrote this book. There was a bidding war to mm-hmm. purchase it. Uh, I can't remember what the actual figure was, but he made more than a million dollars. like one and a half. In like advance. That. Right. Before they even got the book out. And this book came out and it was. But it was Canadian dollars. So it was only like $3.25. Mm. I don't think that math is right. I think the conversion's accurate. Okay. But you well, could look it up. I, maybe I will afterwards. <laughs> but either way, there was a, a lot of money involved mm-hmm. in one currency or another. So I was kind of surprised that he hadn't written anything else. Yeah. Like maybe this took all of his creative energy because right. there's so many diverging and converging ideas and storylines. And, you know, we'll, we'll get more into the book itself as we get along. But there was a lot happening. Maybe he was just like, no, nah, I'm done. Too That's much good. work. That was like 12 books in one. I'm set for life now. <laughs> so Very possibly. Yeah. So um, I'm just going to set this up and then I want to hear your take on all of this because there was a lot mm-hmm. in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, the only thing I remembered from reading it the first time was that for about the first chapter, I was at risk for passing out because <laughs> the main character is burned in a severe accident. And the only reason he survives is because his car tips over into a river. Yeah. And But his whole car's on fire and he had a bottle of um, rum or some kind of alcohol yeah. in between his legs. And so his genitals are burned off. I mean, it's like – and he talks it's about – uh, Yeah. And he talks about smelling his face mm-mm, and flesh and mm-mm, all this kind of stuff. Mm-mm. So I – teetered on the edge of consciousness the first time I listened to the book and even had to, I was in the car, so not a good idea. So I know my limits and I opened all the windows. It was in February. And Did you um, maybe pull over? Well, I considered that, but okay. the fresh air, I turned it off, okay. first of all, and then I opened all the windows and then I calmed myself down. So okay. I was so worried about that part of the book that somehow I forgot about the all adult the rest of it? industry part of the book. Well, let me let me do a little overview of the book for our, our listeners. Go for it. So that I can rec- recollect entirely what the book was about before I tell you about the, the pros and the cons for my Got it. reading of it. So the main character in this book gets in a car accident, is horrifically burned. And I'd say maybe the first half of the book, third of the book, they're in a burn unit. Yes. They're in the hospital. So yep. a large chunk of the book. And so it's the recovery process. It's that thought pattern that you go through or that we assume that you're going through when you're recovering from really uh, damaging injuries. And at some point during his recovery process, this random woman walks into his room, we learn later from the psych ward, (laughs) and tells him that they have been um, lovers throughout the ages for like 800 years. Mm -hmm. And she has come to remind him of this past. Mm -hmm. And so the book progresses, and it's their love story, and it's his healing journey. 
And so you're right. There was a love story in there. Mm-hmm. This book was so weird, though. <laughs> and you know that's a lot coming from me. because It I really li- is. I like weird stuff. Mm-hmm. This was so just so weird. Like I, at the end of all of my little notes, um, I put a little rating uh-huh. just so that I can have something that I can go, ha ha, here's what I graded. Right. Like I'm a, like I'm a book teacher. Mm-hmm. And um, for this one, I just wrote, no idea, such a weird book, <laughs> which, because I'm still not sure how I feel about it. Mm-hmm. It was, there were elements of it that were excellent. The writing style was great. It was extremely descriptive. You were transported to the story of this person and you felt both compassion and empathy for the main character and kind of a little bit of distaste at oh, certain point in time. Oh, and by the way, one of the things I yeah. think is interesting is he doesn't have a name. He's a That's nameless right. character. Yes. And the other weird thing is that the other main character, you can't say only her first name. It's Marianne Angle. Marianne all Angle all the time. All the time. Not just Marianne. Marianne, Marianne Angle. Angle. So, yeah, that was weird too. <laughs> and I don't know why that trope was used in here. Right. Like, I, I suppose I could say that they didn't give this person a name because it forces you to put yourself in that shoe because it could be anyone, so why isn't it you? Mm-hmm. But the Marianne Angle part, I don't know. Mm-hmm. She's Maybe she likes her last name. She wanted well, to keep it. I kept trying to think, is there a play on words here that I'm not getting? Because mm-hmm. he did a lot of literary mm-hmm. um, nods, to, like The Inferno, the book The Inferno yes. factors in hugely in this. And so I was thinking, well, maybe there's just some literary something that I just am not getting. So I can see on the... <laughs> puzzlement of your face mm-hmm. that if there was, you didn't get it either. You know, we're two savvy librarians. I think huh. if it was out there, we might have caught it. But Among the brilliance in this Yes, in between us two, brains. yes. We, okay. make, we make it happen with hmm. our brains. So the first thing that is kind of both a pro and a con is the many, many, many excruciating details about being burned. Ugh. I, um, I love that the author went there. And mm-hmm. I love that they created a space where it is so vividly real. But also, I don't want to read that. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you one quote that is not the most descriptive in the book, but which I think conveys it appropriately. Wait, wait. Am I going to pass out? I don't know. Maybe, okay. like, do you need I'll a paper bag? On. I'll hold on to the desk. Okay. Go. My flesh began to singe Here as I if I were a scrap of meat thrown newly onto the barbecue, and then I could hear the bubbling of my skin as the flames kissed it. It just, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. no, no, so no, gross. And um, some of you may know this, and many of you may not. Christine and I are both vegetarians, um, and I think that maybe I would not have continued with barbecue following <laughs> this quote, "Torai to eat meat" before reading this book, because there are so many pieces like that where you read it and y- you feel in that moment like you need to pull the car over because you're going to pass out. It's just very well written in such a way that it makes you uncomfortable. Absolutely, yeah. One of the things that made me uncomfortable about it is he keeps referring to himself as a monster. Yeah. And he's incredibly um, hard on people who are not physically beautiful. Yes. And people who have been injured. And I know it's supposed to be reflected only in him. But I was thinking as I was listening to the book, wow, if I had if if I had been the victim of some kind of disfiguring injury, how would I feel reading this book? Um, Because he's pretty nasty about it. Yeah. Um, Well, I mean, we know why he did it. It's, you know, as an adult film entertainer prior to this, his whole basis of existence was being a person that other people found valuable just based on looks and 
Beauty. Beauty. And now he was not that. Right. He was a caricature of what he used to be. And so, I, I mean, I kind of get that. And he did. He kept pointing out the tiny little things about mm-hmm. other people that were not a big deal, but they were magnified to him now yeah. because he saw himself within them. Right. Mm. Um, one of the other really descriptive pieces of the book that I did enjoy. Oh, I know what this is. Of course you know what this is, <laughs> was there were entire sections about food. Mm-hmm. So uh, in the recovery process, I now know this, apparently you burn a ton of calories healing. Um, I have been fortunate not to have had any major trauma to my own body, mm-hmm. so I haven't had that process happen. But um, as he and Marianne Engel become closer, she brings him these feasts along the way, and they're usually themed feasts. And, um, oh, salivation. Pages and oh, pages it's, it's, of descriptions. You're so, you, need, you, you must have a snack next to you. And it must be a good <laughs> snack right. when you are reading this. So I have one of these. And this is just a portion. Mm-hmm. So they talk about um, – the, the section I title this is Meals Which Make Me Hungry. <laughs> Sheaves of pita and cups brimming with hummus and tzatziki – Oysters and crabs and scallops drowning a wonderful death in a marinara sauce. Little wedges of lemon balanced on a plate's edge like life preservers waiting to be thrown in. Grapes trying hard to be swarthy and macho in their little green suits. <laughs> scented with sweet red wine. And it, it is, you're not wrong, it is pages yeah. of just tantalizing yes. food descriptions. So that one, that, I, I like that one. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the barbecue part as much but uh mm. yeah he had a, he has a way with words he does which is another reason i'm slightly sad he hasn't written another book mm-hmm. like if it had been on a another topic i wonder where he could have taken that with mm-hmm. his capacity mm-hmm. so what did you think about there's a in the book there are lots of flashbacks to other time periods yeah. and characters and did that appeal not appeal it did there's all these little stories and vignettes and they you don't come back to them. So, mm-hmm. like, you're reading a story about this person and Marian Angler, and then it cuts over to the story about Sayuri and her life in Japan and her mm-hmm. trying to take on a husband, and she gets seen by this overlord, and he wants to be her wife, and so she takes a vow of silence so she doesn't have to marry either of them. And there's all these little stories like this that flow through. Some of them, I think, connected with me a little bit more than others. Sure. They're meant to interplay because he goes through this psychedelic, psychotropic journey at one mm-hmm. point that is reflected back onto Dante's Inferno. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a little bit of a – he wrote that to move the story forward. Correct. But it, right. they were interesting little stories on their own. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked that story particularly, the one about Siri mm-hmm. in Japan. What about you? There were a couple of them. Yeah. Yeah, I think I liked most of them. Um Again, they they have some pretty graphic descriptions of mm-hmm. injuries and oh gosh, the one where the um, in Iceland oh, when they yeah, um, s- um, Einar and Sigur yeah Sigur and Einar beats oh yeah Signor and that's just a horrific description and yeah and it's because this is he, definitely a graphic book yeah it's um you gotta maybe not be prepared for it but certainly. 
once you get a chapter or so in, you you know what you're in for. So and it's you, a love story. That's um, how you should tell your friends about it. I am not sure that it's a love story. <laughs> I think that this might be a little Stockholm-y. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. So, you know, he is in a burn ward. Mm-hmm. He is hanging on to life. Mm-hmm. This woman comes in who he doesn't know. Nobody's visiting him. Right. He doesn't have any family. No He's friends. got this horrible backstory. His company is dissolved because he's bankrupt. Right. All of his coworkers don't want to look at him anymore. Right. So he's alone. Enters this woman. Mm-hmm. She starts talking to him about their love that they've had for 700, 800 years. Mm-hmm. And then she keeps coming back. Right. And then when he's ready to leave, she's there to take him on. Mm-hmm. And he forges this relationship with her. And he feeds into her either psychic unending life thing or her delusions right depending on how you choose to read this book right it's kind of a love story but it's also kind of a little creepy so i think maybe part of the the reason that you're confused by it is because my whole deal is that i like realistic (laughs) fiction and so (laughs) maybe this one really threw you for a loop (laughs) tiny tiny bit there were there were absolutely wonderful parts of this like um I am not artistic at mm-hmm. all. I uh, know how to use crayons uh-huh. because of how I graduated kindergarten at one point. Good job. Thank you. And that's about it. I got nothing else. Mm-hmm. And Marianne Engel in the story is a sculptress, mm-hmm. and she works with large pieces of stone, and she carves gargoyles. So in the nude. In the nude because the that's how that's how the energy of her artisticness overcomes her. So she cannot have anything between her and her products apparently. Um, and she is frantic. She's maniacal yep. about getting these pieces created. And I have never felt that kind of anxiety <laughs> to create something. And you are very much more artistic than I am. Is that realistic? Yes. I <sighs> I will not say that I am maniacal, but I, <laughs> maybe you will. No. <laughs> um, but I definitely... In uh, college, I was an art major, and I can remember going 10, 12 hours without eating or drinking and looking up and and at the clock and going, huh, it's dark outside. I started this project, you know, eight or nine or 10 or however many Mm -hmm. hours ago and rushing across campus to get food while the dining hall was still open. Some of the descriptions that they used in there, so she would, part of her deal, whether or not it was real or if it was some kind of schizophrenic delusion was she felt that she had these these hearts inside of her these mm-hmm. multiple hearts that she had to give away mm-hmm. into these sculptures so that they could live their own lives and so that she could pass on right and so she would do them one after the other after the other she wouldn't eat she wouldn't mm-hmm. drink although that's not true she bought little jars of instant coffee and just would eat that by the spoon which sounds so gross. It's totally normal. It's what I subsisted on in, in art school. I'm kidding. You're looking at me like I have 10 heads. And I never, never thought that anything I created took life. Okay. So I can't relate to that aspect. That part, you know, it's art. Maybe it's got a life of its own. But the instant coffee eating, that's yeah, yucky. That's, gross. that's yucky. So it just, it struck me that, you know, she talked a lot about why she created art mm-hmm. and that it was Sometimes it was pulling the art out of the medium, and sometimes it was pulling the medium away so that what was underneath could already be exposed. Right. Like she wasn't an artist so much as she was like an excavator. Right, right. And it was just – it was um, intriguing to me as a non-artistic person. I love that description because there are times when you look at 
a you know a lump of clay and it looks like something to you already, mm-hmm. like a cloud. You know, you yeah. look up at the clouds and they look like bunny rabbits or yeah. whatever. So I can totally get that, and I and I like that aspect of the the book. And another aspect of the book that I loved, which is really unusual for me, was the ambiguity. Because normally I am all about tying up loose ends. I think it's sloppy on an author's part if they leave any kind of, you know, unanswered questions. Sure. But in this book, for whatever reason, I I bought into it completely. It didn't bother me at all. Like, for example, how in the world did Marianne Angle find him? There's mm-hmm. no explanation of that. And how did there. she know? She knew stuff about him that happened mm-hmm. when he, she wasn't present mm-hmm. And that was never addressed. It didn't matter. It, you just took it on face value and kept going. And normally I would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, yeah. I get it that we're suspending disbelief here, but that's a little too much. Yeah. But for whatever reason in this book, I was totally <laughs> down with it. Uh, I'm okay with ambiguity generally. So mm-hmm. this was not a, a huge issue for me in there. It was just kind of mm-hmm. part of it. You know, it was okay. There, well, were, there were other writing styles in here that I... I found a little harder to to hold on to. So one of the sub storylines is about uh, substance abuse mm-hmm. and withdrawal. Mm-hmm. So the main character in the story talks about having a, a snake in his spine. Right. Because that's how he embodies the withdrawal process. When he's off a painkiller, he can feel the snake moving around and it talks to him. It's mm-hmm. like that inner voice in your head saying, well, you're not good enough and you can't possibly go back out into the world. And why would she want to be with you? And, yes, inner voices are a wonderful way to have an author play off of the different aspects of someone's personality. Right. The snake thing is kind of silly, but it was okay. Agreed. That, yeah. that was – probably doesn't surprise you that that was not my favorite part <laughs> of the book. I do have one other thing I want to make sure that I tell you about Please. that was descriptive. Okay. Because these two were amusing to me. <laughs> so we talked about this being a love story. Mm-hmm. And pretty far into the book, um, the main – um, character, the the man in here, gives two different descriptions of love. Mm-hmm. So he talks about how most people think about love as a sturdy dog, one that will always chase down the stick after it was thrown and return with its ears flopping about happily. <laughs> and that's, you know, it's like love is always patient and kind. And right. It's there for you and all that kind of stuff. But the way he really thinks about love is that it's a tiny, jittery primate with eyes that are permanently peeled open in fear. The lemur looks so vulnerable that one cannot help but worry that a predator might swoop in at any instant to snatch it away. (laughs) And that's just such a sad description of love. Love is not like a a little tiny baby lemur that like a pterodactyl is going to take from you. I don't know why it's a dinosaur now, but it's a pterodactyl and it has taken away your baby lemur. Um, It was just... I think that more than anything solidified for me that this story, um, I felt empathy for the main character, but also a little bit of distaste. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot about him that's not likable, for sure. And and it is a growth story because he – and he has a terrible, terrible upbringing. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's he's incredibly sympathetic. His – he never knows his dad. His mom dies when he's tiny. Mm -hmm. His grandmother is angry that – that her daughter died giving birth to this kid that she doesn't like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's he, yeah. it's very sad. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, it's sad. And the person he grows up to be is capable of change sure. through trauma. Right. Which, fine. But I still, you know, at the end, I, I don't know that I want to be his friend. Okay. I don't have I to be his friend. It's you okay. don't. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. 
Well, I loved um, all the contradictions in the book. Mm. There were, I think he did a really nice job of doing good and evil. And oh, yeah. um, there were just all kinds of contradictions everywhere you turned. And I think my favorite was actually in writing styles because he would oh. have this beautiful language that was so expressive and so beautiful and so visual. And yes. he would follow it up m- immediately with something that was either vulgar <laughs> or distasteful. And yep. it kind of just snapped you back. Like, for example, he says, sometimes when I realize that I couldn't stop writing, even if I'd wanted, a wave of discomfort shudders down my back as though another man were standing too close to me at the public urinals. <laughs> and I just thought that was no. a fabulous description. You yes. think it's going to be some, you know, eloquent, yeah. beautiful, and then... No, at potty humor. You're at a ballpark. (laughs) Yes. This author had an exceptionally intriguing writing style, Mm -hmm. and it was well thought out. And it, although it had loose ends, they were loose ends you could be comfortable with when you ended Mm -hmm. the book. It was, it was just such a weird book. I still don't know if I like it. You don't have to. I'm glad you read it. And I think we should both ask Mr. Andrew Davidson to write another book. I think so, too. But maybe no burning this time. Yeah. Yeah. Make it, like, pretty. Some of it pretty and funny. Yeah, I don't need it all to be pretty. But I don't want to have to think about skin burning. And I don't want to have to turn it off and open all the car (laughs) windows to keep from passing out and crashing. I think that should be a, 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 a baseline. A baseline we're not willing to go under. Okay. I can agree with that. <laughs> and I can tell you that our next book does not have that. Well, tell me what it is. What are you going to make me read? Uh, it is the holiday season. Yes. So I want you to consider this book my present to you hmm. because it is so very, very long that you will need <laughs> to spend the entirety of the next month listening to it to make sure you're ready for this podcast. Wow. I might need to request some leave. Okay. Well, so I can fine. listen to this book. Approved. <laughs> Um, this, I was actually surprised. I had forgotten how long it was until I went and picked it up. So the book that we're reading next month is The Memoirs of Cleopatra by uh, Margaret George. Mm-hmm. And the book is about 900 pages. Oh, my. And the audio book is 45 hours, 46, hmm. 40 a lot. That's a whole work week right there. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Um, it, it, it was... Absolutely heftier than I remembered it being. But I started paging through it again. And the story is its Cleopatra's life. It's obviously fictionalized, but it is based off of a lot of research by the author. Mm-hmm. And it starts off not from birth, but pretty darn close okay. all the way through the end. Okay. And this is not my normal style. This is a historical fiction novel. It may have a little bit of mysticism to it, but that's just based on the time, the place, and the character. And I got hooked on this particular author and this particular type of um, biographical mm-hmm. historical fiction I think in my late teens by another librarian Look who at that. recommended it. Look at that. I know. Now, wait a second. I just need to understand what's happening here. Mm-hmm. I just asked you to read a mm-hmm. fantasy book. Yes. And you're asking me to read historical fiction. Yes. We'll reset in 2020. Wait, wait, it's wait, okay. wait. Have we flipped? No. Because the whole point of this podcast is that there are lots and lots and lots of good books out there. Okay. And they have lots of different elements to them. So, so like, you okay, enjoyed wait. Hagrid in Harry Potter, even though it's you true. don't like fantasy. I enjoyed part of your weird chap, chap, chappy books, <laughs> even though the books themselves were weird. Um, for this one, th- it's just an exceptionally well-written book. 
And so the aspect that I'm not going to like is that I'm going to have to devote the next nine years of my life to it. Well, we record it again might, in a month, so maybe less than that. It might take longer for me to read than <laughs> it took Cleopatra to live, is what you're saying. Maybe. <laughs> maybe I am saying that. But you will – I actually think you'll enjoy this one. I'm sure I will, but I feel like we have to end right now so I can get started. <laughs> <laughs> Done. <laughs> Kick us off for the ending. Well, thanks for joining us on You're Making Me Read What? Even if this book wasn't your cup of tea, there are millions more where that came from. And don't forget, you can grab these books and lots more at your local library. So please do join us next month when we'll be discussing The Memoirs of Cleopatra by Margaret George. Thank you so much, and keep on reading.